You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, this is Barbara McGinnis with Takis McGinnis, and this is Aging Starts Now. Today's episode is caregiving in the age of COVID-19. And with me is Deborah King, licensed clinical social worker and elder care coordinator at Takis McGinnis. As an elder care coordinator, what are some of the biggest worries you're seeing from your families now, Deborah? Hi, Barbara. Thank you for having me on today. Um, I've had a lot of contact with families over the last month of this quarantine, uh, reaching out to them and them reaching out to me with a lot of different issues. Um, let's start with the families who have relatives in the facilities because those were the first affected. Um, the nursing homes and assisted livings effectively shut down the visitation on March 11th. So we've gone almost six weeks now of no face-to-face contact that the families can have with their loved ones who are in a facility. Um, this has created concern for their well-being, for their trust in the facility, uh, communication with the facility. And then when there are issues about the person's health, um, it even raises more and more concern. So families are really struggling with how do I take care of my loved one um, in a facility when I can't see them? Um, So there's a variety of issues there, like one set of concerns if your loved one is healthy and in a facility and maybe just lonely, and a whole nother set of concerns if that person is becomes acutely ill and you can't be there to see them and touch them and comfort them. Absolutely. And it depends on the person's level of functioning. Can you call some of the clients in the facilities have telephones and they can talk with their family members as regularly as they want. Others may not have phones or may not be able to use the phones. And so families are relying on staff to get a phone to them so they can talk to their loved ones. Or um, I've recommended to our families that they ask the facility to FaceTime with them. Um, can they take a, a, a device in there so they can actually see their loved one and their loved one can see them? Um, a lot of facilities are doing what I call window therapy, where the loved ones stand outside the window and they can talk on the phone or talk through the window um, so that they can get eyes on their loved one and what's going on. But for the most part, they're relying on the facility and the staff to keep them updated and informed. And there's a lot of challenges with that because there's a lot of people in some of these facilities to take care of and just adding that one extra thing. But it is so important staying connected. It makes you as a caregiver child feel um, better. 
knowing that your person oh. is okay in the facility. And it makes the, uh, the person in the facility know that they're not forgotten. Some facilities are really doing a great job about doing uh, video chats or some sort of, whether it's FaceTime or something else. I think we're all getting used to Zoom or right. some other ways of video conferencing with people. But what about yes. end of lifetimes, Deb? What about when if the person is actually not just acutely ill, but they're close to the end of their life? Can they visit then? Actually, I've had that happen a couple of times with families that we work with. And the nursing home does make allowances for family visits if they're aware that a resident is declining um, and approaching death. And so they have allowed that person to come in with protective um, gear on, but to spend time as much as a week. I've had one family member be able to spend a week with their loved one before their loved one passed. And they do limit it to one person at a time, um, but he was also able to get some other family members in just before um, she passed. Um, However, if the person is in the hospital when they pass away, the hospitals are not making those accommodations. They are very, very strict with their visitation rules, um, but they still try to accommodate. I had one family that the hospital um, allowed them to um, video chat, not video chat, but video, be there via a webcam um, at the end of life of their loved ones. So they were effectively there, although they could not hold them and touch them and be with them, but they were able to be there at the time. And that was as comforting as it could be. Of course, they would have preferred to have been with them, but the circumstances yeah. simply did not allow that. Okay. So and let's to me, that's one of the saddest things is, is not being able to have that contact and not being able to, to see and touch and hug. Yeah, that is part of the final goodbye, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So what about back to you have a person that you love in a facility, their restricted visitation, and they're reasonably or at least stably healthy. Mm -hmm. You're still doing, dealing with a lot of uncertainty feelings. Any tips for how to manage those feelings of uncertainty? Um, like any other situation where you're out of control, you want to do what you can um, to keep communication open. And that communication is at a lot of different levels. Um, hopefully, the facility is providing communication about what's going on in the facility, um, that they're keeping you posted as far as what kind of sickness is in the facility, um, things that affect your loved ones. But also on the positive side, they're sending you pictures with activities that your loved one is participating in. Um, they're sending you just routine updates about what's going on. Um, if you have specific questions, um, I've, I encourage family members to reach out to the facility. Um, you can 
re- certainly reach out to the direct caregivers, although they're overwhelmed at this time. They should find some time to be able to update you on the situation, but also to reach out to the administration and the executive staff to um, encourage communication. Um, plus, the day-to-day things continue to go on. Not everyone is sick with the COVID-19, so they're still dealing with baths. They're still dealing with care plan meetings. I've had families tell me they've done virtual care plan meetings. Um, They're still dealing with the day-to-day sicknesses and the falls and the activities. And, um, you know, at the same time, the staff is worried about their own health and their own jobs and all of that. So, Part of it is communication, getting communication from the facility. Part of it is communicating your support uh, to the facility that that you want to be there, you want to help, and what kinds of things can you do. So communication runs both ways um, and certainly staying connected. Um, but also sometimes asking the facility, is there anything you can do to help? Um Some facilities have run virtual bingo games where you can zoom in and participate in the bingo or you call, you can call in and maybe they can broadcast you're doing some singing or playing activities with the grandchildren. Everybody loves to watch children play. Um, Are there things that you can do? (laughs) Right. So are there things that you can do to help the facility cope with what's going on? Can you make masks? Can you take, send in food? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, maybe talk to the social workers about what kinds of things their residents need. Just sending cards. I know one thing that helps a lot is if the facility is clearly communicating, not just to family, but maybe even to the community, What's going on in their facility? Are they dealing with residents or staff that have COVID-19 or are they not? You know, we hear a lot of stuff on the news and maybe it's human nature. We kind of assume the worst, clear communication from the facility. What's going on? How are they managing it? How are they screening for it? Um, Just knowing who to talk to and that they recognize and appreciate our insecurities and our anxiety. Um, that really means a lot when, when they take that step. Um, oh, yes. And I've talked to care coordinators across the country and um, every area is kind of dealing with that, wondering what's going on, trying not to rely on the news for all of their information. Um, the government is trying to to, is going to start requiring the facilities to make those reports to the health departments and to uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, and these are going to be made public. Um, and that's scary to the facilities, but you have to remember that sent, for the most part, the facilities are doing as much as they can and what they can with the resources that they have available to try and stop this. Um, I was on a webinar this noon and the actual, the fact is you're dealing with a vulnerable population. You're dealing with a vulnerable population who happens to live together and you have staff that are trying to have to do hands-on close care. Your staff can't distance from these people. So, so 
the the resources that the nursing homes have often are not as high level as those that are in the ER or in the hospital. They don't have as much protective personal equipment. They don't have um, all the lat the test that they can do. They have to wait on the test. That was one of the issues is the facilities have to wait for someone to give them the tests and then they'd send them off and you have to wait for the results. And what do you do in the meantime? Hopefully Um, that'll be something we'll see improve in the next few weeks. I I would think that's an area that people are trying to focus on. Yes, but unfortunately, what we're also hearing is that the facilities, the nursing homes and assisted livings, as they were the first to be closed down, are likely to be the last to open up to visitors. And so we are looking at um, this going on for quite a while for our nursing home facilities, and we're going to have to learn how to um make sure our loved ones are being cared for and help these facilities manage all of these difficulties during this tough time for all of us. Exactly. Um, I know at the facility where my mom lives, I can take little um, packages to her at in the front and leave it in the front office. They'll take them to her mailing cards. She likes right. getting mail. Um, so Everybody does, right? You know, they're little things, but they kind of provide a bright day. But what about if you're a caregiver and your person is at home with you? Is Yes, that, that, that continues whole, to happen. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a different, whole other, isn't it? And, I, and even I have several that are ready to place their loved ones and can't get them in because the facilities are either not taking new admissions right now or they don't want to put their loved one in a facility and not be able to go visit them, not be able to see them. So, so yeah, there's a whole group of people, and we know the number of people caregiving at home is even much larger than those that are in facilities. So not only are they trying to provide care um, to a loved one who has a dementia or has health problems and needs supervision and needs hand-on care. They're also trying to run a household. They may be trying to work and they're still trying to stay healthy and safe for themselves and for their loved ones. Situation. Taking care of kids at home at the same time too, because with school being out. So I I think that makes, um, coping strategies with the stress of being a caregiver that much harder than uh, ordinarily and it's a it's a very tough job to begin with and now you may or may not be able to have help come into the home to help you there may not be enough home health aids um, or non-medical care providers to come into the home and help you seen any reduction in those services Well, I have. Um, Number one, do you want people coming into your house that have been to other people's houses and not knowing the health status there? Um, And if you do want or need someone coming in, um, for the most part, what I've heard is the non-medical and the medical home health agencies are... um, are taking precautions. They're coming in with gloves and masks and and washing their hands and being very respectful of social distance as much as they can. Um, 
there's still a risk there, um, again, because you can't control what happens outside of your doors, but sometimes you need to have that. Um, so you have to, they have to take the precautions. Um, one of the agencies told me they're having a hard time finding help because their help, help doesn't want to expose themselves to right. all the different environments. So yes, there's, there's definitely an issue with care um, because you can't get them into a facility right now or you have a more difficult time. Um, and then the emotions of just placing them and then the emotions of the stressors of caring for a loved one without any respite. You can't just call someone and say, I'm going to the store. So right. finding those outlets, um, you know, finding those activities that can keep your loved ones busy, mm -hmm. um, going for walks. Thank goodness the weather has been nice the last week or so. So getting the physical exercise and going for walks. I've also, also heard and found that keeping to a routine, keeping to a schedule is helpful to everybody, that we're still going to get up at a certain time. We're still going to Get dressed, you know, breakfast, have breakfast, get dressed, shower, and, and we're still going to have a daily routine. It might not be running to the barbershop and running to the drugstore and going out to lunch and like we used to, but we still need to have a routine. And maybe that involves we're going to walk up and down the hallway 10 times to get our exercise today, and then we're going to play music, and then we're going to... Right. So the usual caregiver tips of trying to get enough sleep, trying to eat well, trying to get exercise, looking for uh, strategies that help clear your mind, whether that's meditation or prayer, uh, some, something along those lines becomes ever more important because this is, you're just in the thick of it every day, all day long now. You've got to stay healthy so you can take care of your family. Other resources yes. that you want to recommend before we wrap up? Um, there are a lot of resources out there, and we're going to link those below in the show notes. Um, Mental Health America here in Nashville has a lot of resources, the Council on Aging, the Alzheimer's Foundation. So we'll put some links below to some of those resources. Um, okay. There's some phone chat lines that you can reach out to to if you just need to talk to someone. Um, there's some web groups that you can connect with for people that are going through the same thing that you are. Um, so we'll link those at the show notes below this, and they'll mm -hmm. be available if you call the office as well. Okay. And for anybody that that is listening and wondering about how to get elder law support and help um, in the Middle Tennessee area, we we are readily available um, through the Tagus McGinnis website, or you can call us. But if you're outside of this area, you you could look at resources like the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys or the Life Care Planning Law Firms Association to help find those sorts of resources um, for future planning. Well, Deborah, this is uh, it's a current topic, but it's going to be very meaningful, I think, for some people 
that are experiencing this situation. And I really appreciate your compassion and expertise. So until next time, when we're together again, this is Aging Starts Now. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.